Welcome back, friends, to the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast. I'm so happy that you are here and that we have a chance to learn some Torah together. It is the beginning of the month of October, but it is also the end of the Jewish month of Tishrei. We just passed all of the beautiful, beautiful holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Sukhas Torah, everything. I hope that you had a beautiful, beautiful uh, holiday season. I hope that you were inspired, that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur were deep and meaningful and really gave you a chance to reflect and focus and set your intention for what you want this year to be. I hope that Sukkot was festive and that you were able to perform all of the beautiful, beautiful traditions, mitzvot, customs of the Chag, uh, really with all of the joy that um, that can come from all of these beautiful mitzvot. And uh, now we're ready. We're ready to, to jump into the year. So um, it's the end, like we were just saying, it's the end of the month of Tishrei. And within... A couple of days from now, and depending on when you're listening to this podcast, it's going to be Rosh Chodesh, the first day of the month of Cheshvan, uh, which is the next month of the Jewish calendar, and it is a powerful, powerful month. And as I was thinking about the classes and conversations um, that we're going to have together moving forward, and we have really some great guests lined up coming up in the next few weeks and some great topics that I'm excited to cover. But as I was thinking about the coming year and our learning together, um, I thought that maybe it would be nice right before Rosh Chodesh, right before we begin a new Jewish month, to discuss a little bit of the energy of that month. We know within Jewish tradition, within Jewish mysticism, and within Kabbalah, there is so much discussion, powerful discussion about the unique energy of each month which means that each month is a new opportunity. There's a new avodah, a new intention, and a new way to serve Hashem in each month. Each month is opportune for certain things, certain attributes, certain struggles will be unique to the month. And therefore, it is certainly um, appropriate as part of the Empowered Jewish Living podcast to discuss those things before a month begins, to sort of know what's happening in that month and what we can do to really access the energy of that month, how we could be our best during that month, how we can uh, fully utilize all of the potential that is uh, locked in to that specific time. So this will be the first of that wonderful series that will air in the beginning of each Jewish month. So this is going to be the month of Cheshvan, and then in a couple of weeks we'll do Kislev and Teves and Shvat and so on. And I think that you'll really enjoy it and it'll be really cool. And um, if you don't enjoy it, I can tell you, I don't enjoy it. So <laughs> I hope we'll go on this journey together. And as always, I invite everyone who's listening to this to let me know if there's ever a class that you enjoy or a topic that you enjoy, let me know. I want to hear from you. want to hear um, what you're enjoying. So here we go. This is going to be uh, episode one, I guess you'll call it, or class number one in an ongoing series that we're going to do in the beginning of each month on the energy of the Jewish months. This is the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast, where we explore the beauty of Judaism, the depth of Jewish wisdom, and how to live a more empowered life.
So for every single one of the Jewish months, if we want to begin the process of looking at the month, understanding the month, analyzing the energy of the month, there's a couple of things that we need to look at. You know, obviously we know in the in the greater world of astrology, there's a lot of um, emphasis on the zodiac sign of the month. Uh, whatever the zodiac sign might be, if it is Libra or Scorpio, like it's going to be this month, or Virgo, which was a few months ago, um, whatever it is, there's a lot of emphasis on the zodiac sign. <clears throat> and it is believed that uh, someone who is born within a certain month uh, might have certain characteristics or is at least influenced by the zodiac sign of that month. And that concept is true. Kabbalah also talks about the zodiac sign of the month known as the mazel of that month, like the same way we're used to saying, if we, if we want to wish someone congratulations, so we'll tell them mazel tov. Well, mazel tov means really you should have a good mazel, or which means the influence of the stars that are upon you should be uh, something that is positive. Now, the Talmud does very clearly uh, say in Tractate Shabbat, it says that uh, that... You know, as Jews, we sort of look above the mazel. We look above that. We don't believe that we are locked into a certain destiny. And we certainly do not believe that the stars have any sort of control over us. That actually would be idol worship if we believe that. Um, but we do believe, though, that, you know, energy flows into the world through many different ways and many different sources and on many different levels. From where they originate, you know, and obviously everything originates from the Ain Sof from God, but there are many different channels how they flow in. And the way it's described by many is that certainly the stars and the mazel are, are you know, one, one channel, the lowest channel, but one channel through which energy, godly energy, godly providence um, will enter into the world. So it's, again, it's nothing more than an external tool, um, but it does have an effect. It does matter. Um, that being said, Tractate Shabbat does say that as Jews, we don't put too much attention to that because we do believe that we are in control of our mazel. We are in control of our destiny. We are beings of free will. And therefore, anything that is quote-unquote destined because of our um, mazel is certainly there for us to take and, and and we can channel it in a way that is either positive if we make the right decisions and we deal with things properly um, or negatively if those are the choices that we make. Uh, so again, it's, this, it's, it's a very, very deep concept, one that we're not going to go too much into right now, but I just did want to introduce that idea because again, those who are familiar with astrology who may be listening to this podcast and you hear the energy of the months, you you are immediately thinking of the zodiac sign and, and, oh, you know, I was born in this month, so I must be a, you know, we're not going to get too much into the actual personality traits of a person born into a certain month. That isn't necessarily where I want to put the focus on. What I want to put the focus on is all of us, all of us learning together right now, myself and you listening to this podcast, what we are supposed to be tapping into in the next month, the month that is coming uh, towards us right now. We're beginning the month of Cheshvan. What should be our focus right now. So we one of the things to look at is the zodiac sign and we want to see what that zodiac sign 
means for us in our own intention kavana struggle. We want to see that. That is an important piece of it. Uh, but again, all, always understanding that this is just one factor in determining what the energy is and, and what we are going to do with that energy, whether we'll use it for the positive or for the negative. So we are going to look at the zodiac sign of each month. The specific zodiac sign of the month of Cheshvan is Scorpio, the scorpion. And we'll discuss that a little bit and what that might mean for us. What we're also going to look at is, well, for every single month, we need to analyze the name. Um, Chazal, our sages, were very intentional. The names were given to the months. These names, the names that we use, like the month of Cheshvan that we use, was these were names that were given a little bit later on in history. There's, these names are not in the Bible. When the Bible and the Torah uses names in Tanakh, throughout Tanakh, the Torah actually uses different names for months, names that we don't use. Uh, the names that we use were actually given in Bavel. And um, and there's a lot of play on words, the same way we find a lot of hidden meanings in all of the language of our sages. So they gave the month certain names, but we can darshan, we can extrapolate different hidden meanings within the name of each month, as we always do in Kabbalah, we look for all of the secrets in every word. Every word is available for us to look at, to analyze, to deconstruct, to figure out the numerology. So we want to look at the name of the month. We also want to look at what tribe corresponds to that month. You've probably noticed, and it is not a coincidence, that there are 12 tribes 12 sons of Jacob that became the 12 tribes of Israel, the Shvatim, the different tribes of Israel. And there are 12 months, and there's no coincidence there. And in fact, in Kabbalah, we look at how each month corresponds to one of the tribes. And um, because of that, we'll want, we want to see what is the personality, what is the mission of that tribe, and how that might connect to the month. Okay, so now the same way that just to give a little bit of, of an understanding that we say that there's 12 tribes. In fact, there are actually 13 tribes, not 12. The reason why I say that is because the tribe of Yosef, Joseph, his he was actually divided into two because of his two sons, Ephraim and Menashe. Um, that being said, the tribe of Levi did not travel together with the regular encampments of the Jewish people. The tribe of Levi, they were sort of part of the inner circle surrounding the tabernacle in the desert. So when we speak about the 12 tribes and how they traveled, we still stick to the number 12, but the 12, we remove Levi, Levi, we remove them from the count because they traveled separately and we include, well, we count Yosef as two different tribes, Ephraim and Menashe. That's going to be very important for this month, the month of Cheshvan, because this is going to be the tribe of Menashe. So again, we look at the meaning of the name. We look at the zodiac sign. We look at the tribe that corresponds to that specific month. So something else that we look at that's really important is we look into the Torah and we see what Torah occurrences happen during that month. So if happy things happened during that month in the Torah, we might say that this month is more prone to joyous events. 
if something tragic happened in the Torah during that month. So we'll assume for us also, because remember, we are living the Torah. The Torah is not a history book. The Torah is the book of our lives. So therefore, when a certain event is captured, it's locked into time, and therefore the potential for events similar to that, that are a microcosm in our life, that might also be more prone to happen, something along those lines, during this time as well. So we want to look at the Torah occurrences that happened during that specific month, and then say, okay, uh, and obviously, we're going to try to weave all these things together. We're going to try to weave together the name of the month and the tribe and the Torah occurrence and the zodiac sign. We want to weave all of these things together so we can get a real picture of what the month is all about. Some other things that we might focus on a little bit less during this podcast, I think it'll be a little bit too much, but maybe throughout the months we'll throw it in here and there if it is um, clear to us how this weaves in. Each month has a certain letter in the Jewish alphabet that's connected to it, a certain human attribute, so perhaps we'll throw these in as well um, if there's any real cool connections. But again, we don't want to overdo it. We want the podcast to be easy and fun to listen to and really help us, you know, lock in without getting too overloaded with details. So, okay. So now that we have that, now that we understand a little bit of the approach, let's jump in to the month of Cheshvan. To really get the initial sense of what the overall feeling of the month of Cheshvan is, we need to consider that Jewish tradition has sort of added on a prefix to the name, which was originally Cheshvan, and then it became the month of Mar Cheshvan. Mar is like maror, it's bitter. So Jewish tradition has turned the name of the month into uh, Mar Cheshvan, the bitter month of Cheshvan, which certainly indicates to us that this is going to be a, a difficult month, a painful month. Now, if we look at, there are there is such a thing as, painful months, months that are that are more prone to negativity, there are three months that have significant fasts in them, the 10th of Teves, uh, the 17th of Tammuz, the 9th of Av. And because of that, those months are actually considered sad months uh, because of various events that happen there. Cheshvan does not have anything like that. Cheshvan doesn't have any sort of fast day or anything like that. So it's unusual that Cheshvan would be the month that we would call Mar Cheshvan, the bitter month of Cheshvan. So growing up, the way we were taught um, as to why Cheshvan is called Mar Cheshvan, and maybe this is somewhat intuitive, is really just in comparison to the month that we just went through. We just went through the month of Tishrei, which was so beautiful and so inspiring, Rosh Hashanah. Uh, Yom Kippur, we got high, so high, these days of awe, days of awesome. On Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, like we've said earlier, it's a fast day, but it's not a sad fast day. It's a very joyous fast day. We are, we are angelic on that day. So we go from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, wow, amazing. And then we go to Sukkot, which is joyous. And then there's seven days, and then Shemini Atzeret and Simchas Torah, more reason to celebrate, more reason to pray, more reason to do mitzvot. It's an amazing, amazing month, especially this year when it was, you know, woven into all of these because they were all in the middle of the week, so we had Shabbat coming in between each one. So it was Rosh Hashanah, Shabbat, Yom Kippur, Shabbat. It was like nonstop. 
And yes, it might have been exhausting and you might feel like, oh, I need a little bit of a, of a breather right now. I need to get back to work. I need my kids to get back to school. Yeah, we're all feeling that. We're all feeling that. But there is a certain feeling of like, okay, like it's behind me and I miss it. And what's going to be? What, how, where am I going to draw my inspiration from next? So because of sort of that bittersweetness of saying goodbye to the holidays, we call it Mar Cheshvan. It is a bitter month in the sense that it doesn't have any of those holidays. Um, uh, so that is the common explanation that's given. If you take a look at some other aspects of the month, you see that there is some bitterness that is woven into the month. Let's take a look at the zodiac sign of the month. We said uh, a little while ago that the zodiac sign of the month is Scorpio, the scorpion. Now, I'm not, I know we have a wide variety of listeners out there, but I am guessing that you do not have a pet scorpion in your house. Typically, people don't like scorpions. When you hear the word scorpion, it probably doesn't give you a warm and fuzzy feeling like maybe some of the other zodiac symbolisms do. The scorpion is a low, it's a dangerous animal. It could be a poisonous animal, I think. So the month of Scorpio, it also, it does go together with this theme of Mar Cheshvan, of the bitterness of Cheshvan. What about the events that happened during this month? So if you take a look at the main event that happened in the month of Cheshvan in the five books of the Torah, Interestingly enough, this coming Shabbat, well, depending on when you're listening to this, but at least when I'm recording this, this coming Shabbat, we're going to be reading Parshas Noach, the story of Noah and the flood, the Mabel uh, that was brought, the flood that destroyed all of the known world, that destroyed humanity and the animal kingdom, besides for the ones that Noah saved and his own family. So the entire, even we actually read it, the, the Torah portions don't always line up with the months that, that those events occurred in, but actually this week's Torah portion does, because when the, the, the Torah, the account of the Torah, the Torah records that the Mabel actually began, it began on the seventh, 17th day of Cheshvan, and uh, the entire period of it, with, meaning the, the, the floodwaters when they came and the entire waiting period, it, the entire ordeal lasted an entire year and Noah only came out of the ark the next year during Cheshvan. But the bulk of the actual rainwaters, the flooding, happened in that very first Cheshvan. So we do have an unusual case where actually we're reading in the Torah about an event that happened during the month that we're reading it in. Um, the Mabel, the flood, that was a painful event. If you look at the Torah and you think about, you know, tragedies, one could imagine that a flood destroying, you know, humanity is, you know, kind of a big deal. So... Again, another indication, another indication of uh, the bitter nature of this month. Mar Cheshvan, the bitter Cheshvan, the scorpion, the Mabel, the flood. Actually, an interesting point. I, I mentioned earlier that when the Torah itself discusses the names of the month, uh, it doesn't call it these months, which came up, th these names, which were uh, Babylonian names. They have different names for it. Actually, the month of Cheshvan is called Chodesh Bul, 
bull, not English bull, but bull, like confusion, chaos, which is also the root of the word mabul, which means the flood. So again, even in that name, there seems to be an indication of something that is inherently part of this month that can be perceived as negative or bitter. How do we understand that? What is that all about? You know, one of the other things that we have to look at when trying to understand the nature of the month is um, an aspect that is very near and dear to me because I wrote a book on it. And that is that each one of the months corresponds to one of the four elements, one of the four core elements that all of matter functions within, um, the elements of fire, wind, water, and earth. So we have 12 months. So therefore, obviously, as cycles, you'll have three months that are that correspond to fire. They're fire months. Three months that will be like wind, like water, and like earth. And one of the ways to understand the nature, the nature of that month, is to ask what is the element of that month? In fact, in my book that I, I mentioned beforehand, the book, The Four Elements of an Empowered Life, I hope that all of our listeners have given it a chance. I hope that you've taken a look. I hope that you own a copy. Uh, if you don't own a copy, great time now to go and order it because um, it's a wonderful, wonderful book for this time of year. And it also takes you through a lot of the stories uh, within the book of Gracious in the book of Genesis. So the book, later on in the book, there's a, you'll, you would, you'll find a chart that shows you how each one of the months corresponds to the element of that month. Um, and again, it helps us. It helps, especially if you read the book and you understand the struggles within the elements, then it's, it's fascinating to look at how that might apply to each individual month. So what element is the month of Cheshvan connected to? The answer is the element of water, water element. Um, and what is it about Cheshvan that is watery? Well, we know that if you live in Israel, right now, this is actually the beginning of the rainy season. In fact, part of the prayers that we pray towards the end of Sukkot, we ask Hashem to give Gishme bracha, blessing rains, because we want it now. You know, in America, we don't think about these things because it rains whenever it wants to, and we're not farmers. But in Israel, it's a really big deal. The rain that comes right now is is like it matters a lot. I I, I don't know. I'm not really so up to date on you know the weather in Israel, but I know for many years, at least when I lived in Israel, um, the Kinneret, which was one of the main water sources. Um, which is the, the the big lake up north. So it was pretty low, and and people were concerned about you know whether the Kinneret would have enough water. They were very much dependent on rain. So this is considered the rainy season in in Israel. So um, so Cheshvan is considered a month, a water element month, and um, one might also take note of the fact that the great flood, the Mabel, happened in the month of Cheshvan, which is also a month of the water element. So this gives us really an interesting place to jump in and really try to understand the essence of the month of Cheshvan.
because this is going to be true with every single month that we cannot label a month right off the bat as being a good month or a bad month. That's in our hands to decide, are we going to make it a good month or a bad month? But what we do need to identify is what is what is this month prone to? Is it prone to positivity or is it prone to negativity? Now, when we take a look at Cheshvan, initially we're hit with Mar Cheshvan, we're hit with bitterness, we're hit with the, with the scorpion, we're hit with this image of the great flood. So we get the sense that it is somewhat of a negative month. However, there is a much, much deeper, powerful message that is hidden in the month of Cheshvan. Within Kabbalah, there is a theme that we find again and again and again. And I'm going to say it in Hebrew, and I'll translate it and explain it. It is the concept of ze leumas ze, which means this versus that. It's probably not a great translation, but that's going to be the translation that we'll work with now. This versus that, which means that any time that we find that there is potential for, we'll say it this way, anytime that we find that there is potential for disaster, there is also potential for something amazing to happen. Anytime that there's potential for impurity, there's potential for holiness. Anytime that there's potential for a downfall, there's a greater potential for success. Right? Whenever the potential is there, it can always be used in the positive or the negative, but as great as the potential is one way, it's got to be equally as great the other way. So therefore, you know, you might say about a kid, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll say this all the time. If we find that a kid is a big troublemaker, we'll say, wow, if this kid can make so much trouble, it must be that this kid can also, you know, be a millionaire, right? It must be he can also do great things in the world. I don't know why I said, you know, whatever great things are, right? So whatever, whenever you see something leaning to one extreme, you know that there's the potential or the possibility here for the other extreme, okay? So now, when we see that the month of Cheshvan seems to be prone to some sort of bitterness, something happening over here, actually... Actually, as we're going to see, the month of Cheshvan has the potential also to teach us about what true greatness is. Now, we know, as we've discussed in the past, and we, this is discussed in the book when we discussed the water element. The water element is a fascinating element. There is no other element where you see the uh, yin and yang. It's probably not the right word to say, but the, where you see the two potential extremes within the water element. On an external level, yeah. Israel really needs their rain right now, and we want the rain to be rain of blessing. That being said, we know that rain, waters, floods can cause a tremendous amount of damage. So, yeah, you know, it's like you, you, we pray for rain, but then it's like when it's going like, you know, three weeks without rain, or we're praying for rain, or praying for rain, or praying for rain. And then you're like, you know, you're walking home with your new shoes, and then suddenly it starts raining. And you're like, oh, my gosh, like, Hashem, seriously? Like, it, we've, we've been ra- waiting for rain for three weeks. Now it's got to rain when I'm out, and it's going to ruin my shoes, you know? It's like rain, it can be destructive. It can be for blessing, and it can be damaging. Too much rain, 
will wash things out. We don't want too much rain. So water on a very external physical level, we see that water has great potential to be to bring blessing. All life is connected to water, but it can also be very, very damaging. In the book, when we speak about the inner world of water, the inner element of water, we also say that water corresponds to lust, which can either be used to, to run after forbidden pleasure, forbidden lust, but lust is also the secret to unlock something deeper, something beautiful, and that is lust is certainly what opens up the channels of an emotional connection, love. Like we say all, all the time, all the time, so, you know, often a couple, they've been married for many, many years, and then they'll come and they'll, you know, they'll be sitting with them and they'll be saying, Rabbi, uh, we're, we're, we don't know what's happened to our marriage. We feel like we're not in love anymore. And very often that's actually not the case at all. Very often the love is still there. What's missing? They, they don't lust for each other anymore. They don't have that same passion, that same desire for one another. And therefore, they interpret that as we don't love each other anymore. The love is there. There's just something missing to unlock that love. Right? So lust is a very beautiful thing when it's channeled the right way. So is it lust that's being channeled to something forbidden? Or is it lust that's being channeled to unlock something beautiful called love? Well, I'll tell you something that's even more fascinating about lust. Do you know that many times, both in the Talmud and in Kabbalah, they connect the inner lust, believe it or not, they say that it's from that very same place, that, that place of inner lust, of inner passion, that joy for spirituality is also born in that place. In fact, the Talmud says that when a person studies Torah, when they're studying Torah, meaning when they're getting into excited about their, their, their spiritual pursuits, that is one of the only antidotes for someone if they're struggling with forbidden lust and like, ah, how do I get out of this? I'm becoming addicted. This is, it's taking me over. Right? Torah will take that and channel it the right way. Fascinating idea. Fascinating Within the Zohar as well, the Zohar speaks about the link between a person's sexual desire and their desire for spirituality, and, and often using the same terminology. Something fascinating to think about. So we find that the water element itself can be channeled one way or, or the other. It could be channeled to something very beautiful. It could be channeled to something very damaging. Now listen closely, because this is such a wild idea. The Kabbalists say that the generation of the flood were originally not destined for evil. They were actually destined, that was supposed to be the generation, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, that was the generation that was supposed to receive the Torah, not the Jewish people a few hundred years later. It was supposed to be that generation. Their nishamos, their souls were so great. They were on such a high level. But what happened? They got hooked. They got addicted to forbidden lust. And it was that forbidden lust that pulled them away from their holy potential, got them caught up in a web of forbidden, stolen waters, forbidden lust. God says, I can't give you guys the Torah. And instead, God unleashes on them to punish them, to punish them 
a flood, a flood of water. We write about this in the book. A flood of water to say you could have received the Torah that is compared to water, but instead, because you blew it, I'm going to destroy, in such a terrible way, I'm going to destroy you with water. That's what we call mida keneged mida, measure for measure. Right, for what you did wrong, for the opportunity that you blew, now your consequence is going to be symbolic of what you could have had. You could have had the waters of Torah. Instead, you're going to have these destructive waters. So we see over here in the story of the flood, we see again those two extremes. It could have been something beautiful, and instead it was something painful. It was something uh, it, it was something that stole away the beautiful potential and turned it into negativity. And that idea really opens up the power of the month of Cheshvan. Because within the month of Cheshvan, here we are, we're looking behind us. We're looking at Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot. And we were so inspired. And hopefully we took on so many great plans for the future. But what's going to be the make it or break it? The month of Cheshvan is going to present us with two paths. Ladies and gentlemen, are you going, not, not you, me, Buxbaum, are you going to stick with those things that you decided that were so meaningful to you, that you were so sure of during the month of Tishrei, during the high holidays? Are you going to grab that? Or are you just going to roll right back in to the same person that you were beforehand? So because that struggle, the struggle of who do you want to be, are you going to stick to it? Because that struggle becomes so real during the month of Cheshvan. Right? That's why over here, that's, that's the essence of the month of Cheshvan. We see this zel zeh so strongly, just like the water element, which could be pulled. It could create a, a, a flood or it could create blessing. Water is a blessing. The great... Hasidic master of Banam of Pshischa used to say that Mar Cheshvan doesn't only need to mean bitter Cheshvan, but when you add Mar, when you add those two letters, the Mem and the Resh to the beginning of Cheshvan, which begins with a Ches and a Shin, you also get the word Mirachesh. Mar Cheshvan, Mirachesh. Mirachesh, and he says it's Mirachesh Sifaseha, which means your lips are still murmuring. There's still whispers. The word mirachesh is murmuring, whispering. There's still whispers, right? Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, they're still calling out to you. They're saying, no, 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 don't leave us yet. Right? Listen to what he does over there, right? So that mar cheshvan, bitter cheshvan, could also be a hint to a reminder of mirachesh, a reminder that the high holidays are still whispering towards us, still whispering to us. I shared with you before that the, the Mabel, the flood, happened during the month of Cheshvan. Now, it's interesting that some other things also happened in the month of Cheshvan that were actually very positive. The, the uh, complete construction of Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, who built the first temple, the completion of that construction of that temple happened in the month of Cheshvan. So we see something very beautiful, very positive. And in fact, they say that when the third temple is rebuilt, God willing, the completion of that is also going to happen in the month of Cheshvan. Wow, that's a, that's a whole new spin. There's no bitterness there. That's something very beautiful, very exciting. 
So we see that there's something that we see this, this, this a lot of positive potential also in the air in the month of Cheshvan, if we tap into it. Listen to this. I mentioned earlier that the tribe of the month of Cheshvan is Menashe. And we know that Menashe, that word Menashe, Joseph's son Menashe, he named his son Menashe because Menashe means, it's translated as to forget. Joseph forgot his pain. During the month of Cheshvan, which corresponds to Menashe, we have a choice. We could forget everything that happened during Tishrei. We could forget all the different ways that we felt. But there's something else about Menashe. Menashe was a symbol for Joseph that even though he was in Egypt, he still remained true to who he was. So in the month of Cheshvan, we can be Menashe in that way also to say, you know what? High holidays are behind. It's now the winter months. It's getting dark. We're, we're entering into Egypt. We're entering into a dark time. But I'm going to be like Menashe. I'm going to stay true to who I am. Do you know that the name Menashe actually has the very same letters as Nishama, soul? So again, the name Menashe we see again, does it mean forget about the previous months? Or does it mean stick to who you are, stick to your real identity, who you know that you can be? So again, we see another example of the two possible extremes of this month. It's amazing, amazing to see. Okay, I mentioned earlier that each month has a letter that corresponds. The letter of the month of Cheshvan is the letter Nun. I don't want to lose anyone over here. If you're familiar with the Hebrew letters, then bear with me. If not, then just give me a minute here. Less. The letter Nun, for those of you who are familiar, is is a letter that speaks to the same message of two possible extremes. We know that in Tehillim, in the, in, in the prayer Ashrei, that we say the letter Nun is left out. Why? Because Nun can reference Nifilah, falling down, falling to the 50th, if numerical value 50, to the 50th level of impurity. It says when the Jewish people were in Egypt, they fell, they were almost fell to the 50th. That's like the basement. You know, that's a place where you don't want to be. The 50th level of impurity. <laughs> when they left Egypt, it took them 50 days until they received the Torah because they had to climb the 50 levels of holiness. So again, we see the same, the same concept. It could be, you, you can drop 50 levels or you can climb 50 levels up, represented by the letter Nun. So everything that we see about the letter Cheshvan, about the month of Cheshvan is calling out, this is the make it or break it month. There is so much, so much riding on this month. And then we get to the zodiac sign of the month, the scorpion. And we said, oh, nobody wants your pet scorpion, right? Scorpion, you think about it, the desert. But the scorpion itself also has a hidden message. It also has a hidden message, believe it or not. If we take the numerical value of the word for scorpion, which is akrev, that's the Hebrew word for scorpion, it actually equals, listen to this, it equals, if you take the future, the, the future redemption, Mashiach, we say Mashiach is going to be from the tribe of David. If you take the words Mashiach and the word David and you add them together, the numerical value, you get 372 which is the same numerical value of scorpion, of akrev. Isn't that interesting? It's also the Talmud teaches us, the Talmud says that a very, very cryptic statement of the Talmud. 
The Talmud says there are three things that happen when a person is totally not ready. You're spacing out. You're not thinking anything's about to happen. And these are the following things that can happen. Number one, if you might find a lost object, you're not really looking for it. You're walking down the street. You're whistling. I just tried to whistle. Didn't come out. Right. You're walking down the street and then, hey, right? I found a hundred dollar bill. Nobody goes around the street. Hey, maybe if I look down at my feet for long enough, maybe I'll find a hundred dollars. Right. So that's the Talmud says you find something. It just it just sort of happens upon you. The second thing that it says is the coming of Mashiach. The coming of Mashiach is going to happen. The Messiah will come. We're not going to be ready for it. We're just going to be going our day to day lives. And then suddenly Mashiach is going to happen. And the third thing that it says is the Akre, the scorpion. No one's ever expecting it. It just kind of sneaks up on you. What does the Talmud say? What do these three things have in common? What? Finding a lost object, Mashiach coming, and a scorpion? The answer is that the Talmud is, is, is hinting to this very, very same idea, right? That Mashiach is going to come. Right? That when the redemption is going to happen, it's just going to stumble upon us. And the same way that a scorpion is all, will also stumble upon us. The scorpion over here is a symbol for Mashiach, for the Messiah. Right? Like we just said with that numerical value, right? That it's, 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 it's this hidden symbol of the fact that, you know what, Mashiach is going to happen. And, and, and if a person is not ready for it, the same way you see a scorpion, you run. Sometimes when a person, we think about this messianic era, we can, we can get a little bit afraid. So in that sense, the scorpion is somewhat symbolic of Mashiach coming. So we see every single aspect of the month of Cheshvan from the name to the tribe to the biblical occurrences that happened over there to the zodiac sign to the letter. Everything about the month is hinting to the fact that there is so much potential in this month. That potential can be turned to the good, to the power, to the most powerful, to the greatest holiness. Or that potential can be turned into just forgetting everything about what we gain during the time of the high holidays. It's up to you and I to make that decision that over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to take all of the inspiration of the high holidays and go deeper and deeper with it. Not let go, not let go. We're going to take it and we're going to run and we're going to shine. This is going to be the greatest possible year. And then in a month from now, we'll be able to look back and we'll transform the bitterness of the month of Cheshvan and make it something that is absolutely beautiful. And how are we going to do that? Tune in the next couple of weeks. We're going to have some great guests that are going to help keep us inspired, keep us focused, keep us connected to the mission, and really show us how to bring all of that powerful energy, the beautiful wellsprings of fresh water into the month of Cheshvan. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast and you can always go to rabbishlomo.com for more great content and resources and to connect directly with me.